name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is risen. Do you want to be healed? That was the question of this last week. The question that our Lord asked through the paralytic in last Sunday's Gospel. I wonder if some of you use that as a filter through which to look at your week, your interactions with others, your realization of weakness, but also of God trying to raise you up through the situations of life. How did God reveal to you impatience, resentment, envy, anger, whatever these things may be that are our weaknesses? What did he use to teach us? Pres Annie was talking to me the other night and she said, I need to always remember that I'm a student, not a teacher. And those words ring true. We are always students, not teachers. Because our Lord is the one teaching us. He is the one healing us. And so today we come to another Sunday in which there is another healing. In today's gospel, this miracle of healing is of a different kind. Instead of being at the pool of Bethesda, it's at Jacob's well. Yet there's much that's the same in this gospel story as in last Sunday's. In this story today, there is also a person who is paralyzed. She's paralyzed by the sin which she lives in. A sin which is so repetitive as we hear about all of the marriages that she's had. And undoubtedly the other struggles that come with that. Those kinds of desires. So here she is paralyzed by her sin. And God comes to visit her. Another parallel is that the person being healed is a pariah. If you remember in last Sunday's gospel, we heard our Lord say, Sin no more that nothing worse befall you. It was commonly understood among the people, wrongly understood, albeit, that when a person had a physical ailment, it was because of their fault or their parents' fault. So someone who was a paralytic, in addition to being paralyzed, they were also ostracized by the people. Likewise with those who were blind or who had other ailments and maladies. And we know how very much in today's gospel story, a Samaritan and a woman, no less, is a pariah among the Jewish people. So much so that the apostles are shocked. It said that they're shocked that he's talking to a woman. It could have also said they're shocked that he's talking to a Samaritan because even if it was a man, for a Jew to be talking to a Samaritan, that didn't happen. Furthermore, for a Jewish man to be talking to a Samaritan woman. And just as Bethesda, here likewise at Jacob's well, the time was ripe and the eagerness of the person desiring healing was revealed. This was one of the longest conversations in the Gospels. And we see her eagerness in this because she keeps on probing and asking and wanting more from him until finally he reveals the greatest of things, which is that he is the Messiah that she and all the people have been waiting for. Like the paralytic, Fotini arose from her paralysis of sin. She left behind her fornication and adultery and lived an entirely new life. 
They mention her name, Fotini. For those of you who don't know, this is Saint Fotini. And we have the testament of the rest of her life as well. A life that is completely transformed. She becomes like an apostle, like one of the apostles, going out and preaching Christ throughout the Roman world. So she rose from her paralysis of sin. And like the paralytic, she went and proclaimed the healing to the people. That's at least what we hear in the Gospel account. There's much more after that. More places that she went and more people that she preached to. But first she went to her own people. This is just like the paralytic. The paralytic, they were asking, who did this? And, and he said, he said he, it was Jesus. And what happened to, with those people? The people in Samaria, they all came running to be healed and to learn, to find the Messiah. And the people in Jerusalem, they said, it's the Sabbath. How could he be healing on the Sabbath? Clearly he is not the Christ. So a very different response from the people. In this encounter with St. Fotini and Christ, we can learn three important lessons for our own lives. The first of these is that only in a state of humility can we hear God speaking to us through our struggles. You see how God gently led her along in the conversation? She humbled herself and walked along with him. And this is the way that we can learn. This is the way that we can be students under our teacher, our Lord, is with humility. Because if we approach God with pride, if we have pride in our lives, what happens when God teaches us through situations? We blame the other people. We point fingers. We say, it's not my problem. It's not my fault all the reasonings and excuses that we have. And so God, who is trying to teach us through these situations, through struggles, through difficulties, he's unable to teach us. So humility is central to our healing. It's so essential to our healing. I'll read a passage to you from uh, Archimandrite George. He wrote this book on theosis. The subtitle is The True Purpose of Human Life. Is theosis. And this is what he says about humility. Hum to see that we are sick, that we are full of weaknesses and passions. We must have constant humility, for if, he accept, if a person accepts the thought that he manages perfectly well just by using his own powers, then pride enters him. I'll say that again. If a person accepts the thought that he manages perfectly well by using his own powers, then pride enters him. He loses what he has gained. He must become humble to see his weakness, his human sickness, and learn not to rely on himself. This is a fundamental thing that we need to have any healing from God. This is what we need to pursue in all, all aspects of our life, is to humble ourselves. And Archimandrite George goes on to describe our modern condition in the world around us in relation to humility or the lack thereof. So long as man lives egocentrically, anthropocentrically, autonomously, he places himself at the center and purpose of his own life. He believes that he can be perfected by his own efforts, defined by his own efforts, deified by his own efforts. Does this sound like the world that we're living in? 
advances in technology to make us all immortal and smarter and better. This is the spirit of contemporary civilization, contemporary philosophy, contemporary politics. To create an even better world, even more just, but to do this autonomously by oneself. To create a world which will have man at its center and no reference to God, with no acknowledgement that God is the source of all good. This is the fault that Adam committed, believing that with only his powers, he could become God, could complete himself. The fault of Adam is one that all humanistic creeds make throughout all the ages. They do not consider that communion with God is indispensable for the completion of man. Everything orthodox is theanthropically centered. It's a big word. Theanthropically centered. Theos, anthropos. Everything is centered on the God-man Christ. Everything is centered on this union between humanity and divinity. So he gave a little commentary about society, and we can certainly look around at the society around us and say, look at all those people who are godless, who are pursuing making a better world by their own standards and by their own terms. But we need to look at ourselves. How do I go and say my prayers in the morning and then go about my day as though God doesn't exist? Forgetful of him, maybe in little moments remembering him. How do I make my plans irrespective of any possibility that my plans might not come through, that they might not be within God's providence. All of these are ways in which our ego comes and rises up within us. The humble way is a way of dependence, and it's very scary to be dependent. We prefer independence. But if we humble ourselves, becoming the student instead of the teacher, then we can hear God asking us, do you want to be healed? So that's the first lesson, is one of humility. The second is that we learn that our healing is our repentance. Our healing is our repentance. When we can actually say, look, God, I'm weak. Look here at this weakness, God. I see it, which many times I see it because God himself is the one revealing it to me. But when I can say, this is mine, and... I want to give it to you. I don't want it anymore. I want this healed. If we really want our brokenness, and how often we do, we want our selfish desires, we want our lusts, then God, he honors us. He gives us the freedom, and so he won't heal us. So repentance is that path towards our healing. Repentance itself is the healing. And this is why the church describes our entire life as a life of repentance. This doesn't mean slavishly whipping ourselves all the time. What this means is that I see my weakness, I know that God in his love has revealed my weakness, and so I give it to him. I don't deny it, I don't minimize it, I don't feel so ashamed that I want to ignore it and forget about it. I give it to him through that simple prayer, Lord have mercy. Christ said to the paralytic last week, sin no more lest something worse befall you. Now that can be misunderstood in a lot of ways. People think like, well, did his paralysis come from sin? No, that's not what Christ is saying. What Christ is saying is, 
as bad as paralysis is, your sinning will cause something far worse. Far worse. Because what will happen is eternally you will choose to draw yourself away from me. To be away from the source of life, the source of love, the source of joy. Much worse than being paralyzed. I would take paralyzed over that. And that's what Christ is saying. Is that in as much as we can see our weakness and offer it to him and no longer sin, then we'll be healed. The third thing that we learn is that nothing is too sinful or ugly for God. Just look for a moment at this exchange, because it all happens in the Gospels, and we read through it. But what happens? Christ makes her totally naked. Oh, you actually had five husbands, and the one you're with right now isn't your husband. And she still stands there? She doesn't go crawl in a corner or say, I'm done with this. How dare you? There are many ways that our ego could have responded to that situation. Many ways. She was stripped completely so that nothing could hide who she really is. That's what he did right there. And she kept standing there. She kept seeking him despite that because she wanted the source of life. She wanted this water that would give her life. And not just water, water. She knew something more was here because what did she say right after that? I perceive that you're a prophet. She wouldn't be so bold as to say, I think you're God, but I see that there's something here. So don't be afraid of whatever ugliness that you have in your life. And this woman, she lived, again, it's hard to imagine being married five times in this time. Even in our day and age, I mean, how many, how many of you know someone personally who's been married five times? You don't need to raise your hands. I don't think any of us do, right? Now, it's a little different now because what will people do instead? They won't even marry. For those of you who are older, you might remember Elizabeth Taylor and those kind of things of people being married again and again and again. But it's incredibly uncommon. So who was standing in front of Christ was someone who was incredibly sinful, incredibly sinful. And that didn't deter Christ at all. In fact, he sought her out. She didn't approach him. He approached her. So don't be afraid of the ugliness that is inside of you. Don't be afraid of that. Because our shame can make us do a horrible thing, which is we want to turn and run. We want to forget about it. We want to cover it up. I don't even want to think about it. And when we do that, God can't heal us. So don't be ashamed, no matter how sinful or ugly the things in your life are, give them to God. Because God will not turn away from us. When we look at our sinful condition and we're ashamed, God is not shocked. God is not surprised. We know that in our head, but there's still that feeling of like, I don't want to say this, right? I don't want to go to confession and say this thing. Yes, it's in front of a priest, but really, it, it, the point of confession is it's in front of God. Do I actually want to say all of this in its fullness to God? So my brothers and sisters, the story of St. Fotini is a profound witness of God's healing. The healing of this woman paralyzed in sin, and yet in her humility, she stayed there. 
she accepted to be healed in her humility. And she repented. Her life was transformed, by the way. She ended up confessing in front of Nero, the emperor. You know Nero, the one that burned down Rome? She went before him and confessed the Christian faith. She went all over the Roman Empire. So her life became a life of repentance. That other key thing, humility and repentance. And she was not ashamed of her sin enough that she wouldn't go to God. We should have shame, but shame that brings us to God, not shame that paralyzes us. So may we learn from her and pray to her. May we have her intercessions. Amen.